1: Hello, TSF family, and welcome to Episode 3, Season 4 of This Spiritual Fix. Today we're talking about existential kink and getting off on your resistance. This Spiritual Fix Two Mystical Mamas Hacking the Self Help Game.
0: With Anna Stromquist and Christina. Let's see. Hi, Christina. <laughs> I feel like it's been forever since we spoke, even though we text every day.
1: (laughs) It's true. It has been a minute since we've spoken and it's been a fun minute.
0: (laughs) When's the last time we actually had a conversation? Oh, well, we interviewed someone yesterday, but that doesn't really count. Like when did you and I have a conversation?
1: It's been a second. That's for sure. Yeah. We've both been so busy with the things of May, right? The things going on in the world. I'm
0: just kidding. I don't even know. Yes.
1: I've been doing, I've been doing, um, a parasite cleanse, which has kept me nice and busy.
0: Tell me about this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. Even talking about the energy form of parasites, like makes me feel a little bit icky. Like it's just got this interesting energy signature, but, um, I read uh, that
0: one in three adults have parasites and that in other countries, people routinely get parasite cleansed in the same way pets do. Yes. And, and here, like, no one does it quick question before you even start. Did you see, did you see the parasites? I haven't you... seen anything No. Okay. Okay. All right. Now keep going. I just want no. to get the grossest part out of the way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. My favorite uh, part actually. Okay. <laughs>
1: <going>. <laughs> no. Yeah. I have not seen anything. Basically I'm taking this, this product that is a mixture of like wormwood and black walnut, and it has some support stuff too. It has clove in it. And the three of those things combined with some support materials are basically really, really good at killing whatever parasites exist in your body. I would actually be surprised if it was only one in three. Yeah. I would think it would be more, It's honestly. probably because
0: Americans eat so much processed foods. Just kidding.
1: <laughs> well, no, because that's what feeds them. That's effectively what feeds oh. them. That's what, well, that's par- processed foods, sugar. A lot of dairy will do that. There's all that kind of stuff will naturally feed parasites in your system. And, you know, when you might want to consider this is if you have a lot of brain fog, or if you have a lot of irritability, or if you have a lot of, you know, insomnia, they can kind of do all sorts of stuff. one of the things that people say is if you wake up between one and three in the middle of the night, then there's a good chance that you may have some parasites that are waking you up at that time. Um, some people get cyclical. They get sick every two to three weeks because that's when the blooms of parasites are coming. And I'm not doing this to make everybody paranoid, but I, what I'm really saying is it's a very interesting and intense experience. I haven't done one since before I had kids. And what happens when you do it is that you experience called die off, which is when the parasites die, they release like a lot of the handles and toxins into your bloodstream. So you start to feel really shitty. Like I've had a debilitating headache for about three days and every muscle in my body was sore for the last two days before this. I'm finally starting to like feel the broad fog lift from my brain and from everything. And it's been pretty amazing because, uh, my ADHD is not nearly as bad. And that is making a massive broad statement. I'm literally on day seven of a 17 day cleanse. I'll tell you guys and give you an update maybe a little bit later if I still see those as lasting results. So we are talking about existential kink
0: today, right? Yeah. So Existential Kink is a book recommended me by a friend who has on her podcast, Stephanie Joplin. And she was telling me, have you read this book? You've got to read this book. And it was one of those books that I started listening to it within the first five minutes. I knew that I had to listen to the entire thing right away. It was so, 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 so good. And it was everything that I was ready to hear and want to hear because I feel like it summarizes everything we want to talk about this season in a way. So I'm really excited to share it. What is it, a philosophy, a technique? What would you I think call it's a it, philosophy it a and those? many techniques? I, I feel like it in some ways is Tantra and it's some ways Carl Jungian. It's it's kind of everything. I'll just kind of go into it and then you can tell me what you think it is. Sweet. I don't, I, I don't know how to explain it. But so right, before cool. we start, I kind of just want to bring up if you haven't listened to our episode on internal family systems, which is episode 20 of season three, go back and listen to that because it's gonna help make a lot of sense of what I'm going to talk about here too. But to summarize that episode, basically we have many, many different parts inside of us. We all have a narcissistic part. We all have a humiliation wound part and an abandonment wound part and a saintly part and a motherly part and a fatherly part. And we all just have all these different parts inside of us. And the whole point of that episode when we discussed it was there are no bad parts. And this is taking it a step further and saying, not only are there no bad parts, but every single part deserves to experience pleasure in whatever form it wants. So if your humiliation wound gets off on being humiliated, let it, It it's not saying to go torture people, but it's saying, let's not only acknowledge our parts, but let's celebrate them and let them experience pleasure. That that's kind of it in a nutshell through the IFS. lens. So I like that. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I I love this quote by Carl Jung, which I have said many a time, and I will say it again, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. So to quote Carolyn Elliott, the author of this book, existential kink is an attitude of being willing to fully feel and celebrate everything. Another quote, I'm allowed to take pleasure in every part of my existence. So tying those three quotes together, Carl Jung says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it'll direct your life and you'll call it fate, is this idea that when you keep bringing things into your life over and over and over again, it is because on some level, unconsciously, you want it. Now, let's say, for example, you've been fired once. Okay, Carolyn Elliott will go as far as to say every single thing in your life is there because on some level you want it. She's willing to go that step. I'm willing to give a buffer to people listening, and say, okay, well, maybe if you get fired once from a job, you didn't really want that to happen. It was a fluky thing that happened, but let's say eight out of 10 jobs you've been fired from on some unconscious level, you want to be fired. Or let's say that you had one narcissistic asshole boyfriend, let's say, you know, but let's say 15 out of the last 18 guys you dated were narcissists, Okay. That's something you need to look at. Maybe on some level you want it to happen. So I'm willing to give the buffer. Hey, if this is a fluky thing, it happens once, twice in a lifetime, maybe you didn't want it to happen. She will disagree with me and that's fine. But I will say, if you're seeing a repeating pattern of constantly attracting unavailable people, constantly being late, constantly getting fired, constantly being broke. If you have repetitive behaviors, then on some level, you wanted it to happen unconsciously or right or you could say
1: using again ifs there's definitely a part of you that wants it i think that 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 all of us could admit to the fact that there are parts of us that want to do possibly have addictions right they want that and the question is is, is you know are you letting them and and correct me if i'm wrong and if this doesn't like align with it but in some ways it's it, you can say that both statements are true that her statement is true that if you're part led, if you're not being self-led, right? Where you're actually like unblending the parts and letting the self lead, then it is true because if you're part led and that part wants the bad things to happen, then in that way it could be construed as what she's saying is correct.
0: Right. right.
1: I think that maybe our self never wants the, to get fired. Right. But if the parts are leading, then you can't really distinguish.
0: Right. And so the whole idea of this existential kink is to make friends with those parts that are secretly running the show or secretly wanting these things to happen and have our conversations with them and basically give them what they want, but maybe in a safer way. So, you know, I'm going to give you a fun example. At the beginning of the episode, I asked you about your, your parasites. Did you see them now? Maybe, maybe people listening would be like, how could Anna want to know it was in Christina's toilet? Like she's fucking sick. However, I am celebrating that I do have a very perverted part of me that loves like freaking Googling parasites in toilet images on Google. And I love it. Like I freaking love it. Like when I see roadkill on the side of the road, I will look and I will be a gas seeing the intestines spilled out on the side of the road, but I will want to look like I have a part of me that enjoys disgusting things. And it is true. Like it was so funny because I was talking to my, my son the other day, cause our dog farted and it smelled horrible. And we both said that we actually liked the smell of it. And, you know, it's just like, that is so existential kinky for me to not only recognize that I have these parts that, that like, or get off not sexually, but, you know, energetically in some way, get off on things that are gross. And I not only am going to admit that I have that, but I'm going to celebrate it. Like, yeah, like I get off, not sexually, obviously. um, I get off on stinky, gross things sometimes. I get off on about hearing your parasites. Like if you had told me you found a really long tapeworm in the toilet, I would have freaking loved it. You know, like I'm willing to accept all the parts of me and celebrate them and, and not dissect and shame them. And that's what this is really about. Okay, does that make sense? It does. All right, so- Carolyn begins the book by talking about seven different axioms or basically seven different Christina. <laughs> Let me Google that. An
1: axiom is like, it, it's kind of a, a broad term for a pillar or it, it, I think it's a combination of like a belief. And it, it, it's a, it's basically a way to structure and organize information into, into, into groups is kind of how you could t- call it.
0: I think she said it's something like these are, they, they appear to be self-evident and true, but there's no way of proving these something like that. Right. That is a much better definition. (laughs) Yes. So these are the seven axioms or things she believes to be true from her experience. And if you do the work, you'll probably have a similar experience, but it's not something we can prove. So the first axiom she gives is having is evidence of wanting. So that's kind of like what I was saying in the beginning. If you are having a situation where you are getting fired eight times out of the last 10 jobs, it's evidence of wanting it's evidence that on some level, some, if you want to be IFS about it, some part of you wants it to happen, you know, or your subconscious wants it to happen. So having is evidence of wanting, she says, look around at your life and every single thing that you have in your life is evidence that on some level you wanted it there, even boom, 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 if you say you don't. (laughs) And that is the most important part here is she says, you know, people have a hard time saying this, like, how could I possibly want to be broke? You know, and she'll say, she would probably say, stop make a list of all the reasons why you might possibly want to be broke. A, because you're scared to be richer than your parents. B, you want something to have in common with your friends. C, you love to complain. D, if you stay broke, you never have to actually fulfill your dreams and then face the disappointment that might come if you don't or whatever. I'm not, I don't know if I'm making sense, but like you may, and that's what she wants you to see here is you may have parts of you that actually want it to happen. And this is about discovery why do they want it? Okay.
1: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's, it's similar to what I have said. And what I know Robbie has talked about is that like at some level, even, even regardless of IFS aside, that there is some part of your subconscious that is served by doing something like this. So those are, that's other language that I've used in the past before even hearing about kind of the, the axiom of having is wanting is that you're being served in some way even if it's not totally apparent. And even if it's not something that you would consciously ever support.
0: Right. Now there is a little bit of a conundrum here, which could be spiritually bypassy. which is what about needless human suffering, like horrible, horrible, horrible things that happen that no one in the world would ever possibly want. How would you make peace with this idea of having as evidence of wanting, if you've experienced a horrible tragedy, right?
1: Right. Right. Because if you go down the karma road, then you're like, okay, well, apparently I did that in a past life to somebody else, but that's still, I can't remember that. Like maybe my soul remembers that if you go back to Ainsley McLeod's episode, maybe my soul remembers that, but I certainly don't remember doing anything that has a cause and effect. And, and right now it's just pulling me deeper into trauma and it's pulling me deeper into like these bad spaces. So why do I have to experience needless suffering? Or why do the people I love have to experience needless suffering? It's, it's a difficult one.
0: That is a difficult one. And, and let's just say that I don't really feel like I could answer that question. You know, why do these horrible, needless suffering things happen? How, how could that be evidence of wanting? Right. But maybe on some level, some karmic level, some part of you did want it, but then, then that seems like victim blaming. And I don't even want to go there because people experiencing horrible things. That's the last thing they want to hear, right? Oh, well, some part of you wanted this
1: yeah well that's and then that's and that's when you get into this whole other area too where we're quantifying and and creating hierarchies of suffering right like there's no doubt that there are things that are worse and better and all those sorts of things and one of the things that's super common for people to be like is yes i had this terrible experience but it sounds like your experience is so much worse so i can't actually feel bad about what i have right which is another form of bypass right comparing your suffering to other people is, is, a, is a kind of a form of bypass. So it's like recognizing that, you know, kind of taking the Buddhist approach here and like recognizing that we are all suffering. Yes, there are different levels of suffering. And yes, on the apparent level of reality, like we've talked about before, on the apparent level of reality, there's action that needs to be taken in order to, to bring justice to, to the sufferers of needless suffering and things along those lines is absolutely necessary. So given that we all have these different levels and if we can get down to the nugget of, okay, so I had this moment of suffering and I had this moment of experiencing something in the world that felt so needless and it caused so much trauma to me and I am so hurt by that. And when I go from there, I can just say, okay, fuck, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Well, here, it kind of reminds me of like in the, in a course of miracles, they say like one act of suffering is all the same in a sense, like in, like you stubbed your toe, that yes. stubbing of your toe suffering is, is equal in the eyes of the, in the eyes of illusion.
1: And yeah. So basically that depending on what level of reality you're looking at on the apparent level of reality, there is a quantification of suffering. Absolutely. Even on the subtle levels, like even on, even within the mind, even within the communal mind, like the the collective unconscious on all three of those levels, when we are still dealing with the reality, as we know it, as we experience it with cause and effect and karma and all that kind of stuff, like, yes, there are different levels of suffering and they are totally present. When you get to the level of ultimate truth, suffering is suffering is suffering. They're all the same. They don't have any other, they don't have a quantity it's, it's a binary thing. Did you suffer? Did you not? And the thing is, is that being in in those first three levels is always contingent on suffering. So if you can find a mechanism to understand your suffering or to come out of your suffering, which is what I feel like existential kink from what I can hear so far, Anna is saying, then that is a mechanism for you to, to see and feel as if you have more of a role or more of an ability to to affect your your vision of your own suffering that we all experience. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yes, yes. There's a quote by Mark Twain that says, "Pain is inevitable, suffering is optional." So, I mean, I think that there are situations that are painful, right? but then we do have the autonomy then to suffer or not suffer. And that's really easy for me to say, sitting here in my beautiful home with my healthy children and my food in the oven, you know, that's really easy for me to say. And, and I know that it's not the easiest for everyone to say, you know, pain isn't inevitable. Suffering is optional. Like I am in a situation I can eat the wild fit foods. I can help my autonomic nervous system be more regulated. I can do the meditation. And like, it's, it's true that there are people that they literally do not have the time to listen to this podcast or do self-help work or do shadow work. You know, like, it's just, I don't know if there's an answer to this question, but, and I'm even maybe like, I'm, maybe I'm just going (laughs) around in circles here. And I'm really sorry for our (laughs) listeners that I don't really have anything really nice to say here, but I guess the point is if you're in the mental state that you can recognize that having is evidence of wanting, let's do that. And then if you're in a situation where like you are experiencing a needless, needless human suffering you're probably not listening to this podcast in the first place, but yeah. What do you, Christina, can you add? Yeah. 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 I was, I was going to
1: say that, you know, in a lot of ways it's a cone because it's something that in our level of understanding of the world and the universe, we can't understand. We feel compassion for everybody who is suffering or feeling pain around us. We feel compassion for ourselves for when we have pain and feel suffering. And I feel like what is the role of everybody, you know, when they're in a position where they're possibly feeling less pain and suffering is to to do everything they can to 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 break people into the world of the ultimate truth, right? So it, that's when that's when we all come to a, a point in our journey when we start to serve. Our job is to surf, right? And I feel like that's that's kind of where where we go with that. It's not about comparing ourselves or it's not whatever. It's like it's about recognizing where we are. It's about recognizing that maybe we've gone through those lessons. Maybe we haven't, it's all, we're all on the X axis y'all we're all kind of sitting in the same place. There's no hierarchy between us. Right. And so the only thing we can do is if we can use having as wanting as the mechanism that helps us to, to transcend our suffering then that will help every other person around yeah, us. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not, not use it as a tool to wield differences yeah, and to like try and create say, a hierarchy oh, of spirituality. Yeah, that's not what it's about at all. Yeah. Right? They're like, suffering.
0: Oh, well, having is evidence of wanting that's her fault. Cause, uh, one of her parts wanted that that is not at all what I want to say, you know? Yeah. Is- yeah. You and I are, are in a
1: position right now in this 2022, where we are, one lifetime ago, maybe every single one of our listeners was our teacher. Right. You know, it's, it's all, it's all relative and whatever can help us transcend is, is a worthwhile tool.
0: Yeah. All right. So, okay. That was axiom number one, having as evidence of wanting. So look around and, you know, she suggests making an inventory of the things you think you don't want and maybe countering it with, well, if there's a part of me that wants this, why would that be? So you can try to kind of make friends with, or understand the motivation behind it. Right. Okay, number two. Yeah. yeah. Number two is we have a choice as to whether we experience a sensation as pleasure or pain. And for anyone listening who has done a Vipassana course, you know, better than anyone that the sensation arises and the sensation is neutral. And then we ourselves decide, is it pleasant or unpleasant? And if it's pleasant, we go down this whole cascade of pleasure, craving, pleasure, wanting. And if we determine the sensation to be unpleasant, we go down this whole cascade chain of it's unpleasant. I. I want to push it away. It's painful, aversion. I don't want it. And that is actually a choice. Now it is often a very unconscious choice, but it is a choice nevertheless.
1: Yep. Yep, absolutely. It's interesting when we get into this whole world, we can kind of cut the line between what is pain, what is not pain, what is sensation, what is not sensation, what is suffering, what is not suffering. But ultimately, I think we all can agree that pleasure and pain presents an opposite that we can all make sense of and and recognizing that you have control over how you experience sensation, whatever it is, whether it's a a feeling in your body or whether it's an external stimulus is, 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 is there for you. Right. Right. It's, 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 it's can be your work if that's what you choose to go down.
0: And that kind of goes into the whole idea of like, well, what is pleasure and what is pain? Like, for example, I have a good friend and she was very upset because the principal at her son's school unfairly expelled somebody. And she was really, really heated and really pissed at that principal. And she was like fucking pissed. And I explained to her the tenets of existential kink. And when it was all over, she was like, you know what? I have been so angry and raging and hating this Principle, every time I drive by his house, because they are kind of neighbors and she goes, but you know what? I'm realizing how much pleasure it gives me. Like it makes my stomach upset. It makes my blood boil. And on some level, I'm actually getting off on it, not sexually, but she recognized that she was getting off on it and that it was actually pleasurable to her to drive by his house and hate him you know, to go the extra long route to hate him. And so she was recognizing that like what she thought was pain, what she thought was anger and hatred toward this guy. She was being really honest. She, She was actually enjoying it because if she didn't enjoy it, why would she put energy into it? Right?
1: Yep. Yep. And I can give you another example too. This is something that I've been working with a client with recently, but I've also recognized it in myself is that like hating the patriarchy can totally fall under this category, right? Because like the experience of hating something, I mean, I, I, you, you talk to me about anything and I will always tell you that like in, in the physics of the world, if you hate something, it's, you're giving it just as much energy, energy as somebody who loves it. Right. Like, you know, in terms of the whole transfer of energy, but like, in a lot of ways saying, oh, fuck the patriarchy. And then even experiencing the the kind of almost righteousness that you can feel when you're right, when the patriarchy does fuck you over, or when, like, you know, something like that happens where you're just like, oh my God, I fucking hate the patriarchy. Look at what it's done again. Oh my God, look at what it's or look at what it's done to me. Oh, I'm so fucking right about the patriarchy. You know, like you can get me off think- on
0: that so hardcore, yeah. right? Methinks thou dost protest too much. <laughs> but it's
1: i mean that's the thing 100 percent right like i i have a part of me that is definitely a misandrist right who just who just does not who who fucking loves hating men right who loves blaming them for everything that's gone wrong and i fucking love that part it gets it, i get so much energy from that part you know i i think of it as pain because it pains me to see what happens in the world or what happens in my world as a result of it. But I also get pleasure from that pain, from that hating.
0: Right. That leads very nicely into her third axiom, which is it's possible to get off on every stroke and every happening in life is a stroke. So she ties a lot into this existential kink into BDSM. And she says that you can sexualize everything. You might not necessarily be a very sexual person and might not want to like You know, make that traffic jam sexual in your mind. But the idea is you can get off and it doesn't have to be sexual. Like when I'm using this terminology, get off, it doesn't have to be sexual, but you can get off on everything. And so her proposition is, you know, just like my friend who is driving past the neighbor's house to hate on him just in her car, you know, she's not like throwing eggs or anything, but just to recognize that like she's getting off, like that's fueling something that's charging her. It's making her blood boil. And as much as she could stay, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. him. She recognized that she's getting off on it. Maybe not sexually, but she is something's getting off on that. So then she gets to look deeper, you know, what part is getting off on that. And it's really interesting because the author talks about how, when she recognized that she was broke, she's being really honest, she would feel electricity in her clitoris or like when she would pay attention really carefully to her body, when she would be doing things that really heated and made her upset, she would notice a lot of electricity in her vagina or in her root chakra area. So, you know, pay attention to your body. Like you might be all pissed off, but notice are your genitals getting aroused? Is there more blood flow in your genitals? Like, are you getting... Are you getting turned on maybe maybe not sexually but maybe that root chakra that life flow of energy is being turned on let's not judge it yeah. yeah awesome okay number four axiom number four our degree of being turned on or off is a matter of how much we are willing to totally approve of our life so she says like a lot of us a lot a lot a lot of us and this is a lot to do with the father wound believe that we need to be saintly. We need to be good. We were taught the 10 commandments. We were told to be good little boys and good little girls. And we have in our mind that like, you know, the part of me that likes the smell of my dog's farts is a bad, or, you know, the part of me that wants to look in Christina's toilet at her parasites is disgusting. And I shouldn't share that with anyone. And, you know, there's a part of me that gets off on having student loan debt and I shouldn't, you know, I should not be in debt. And like all these different things, like, how much am I willing to approve of all of my quote unquote naughty parts? Like, are they even naughty? Like, aren't they just parts? There are no bad parts. And so our degree of, of noticing how turned on or off we are or letting these things actually turn us on and get pleasure from them the way my friend did with that principal, you know, or me with the student loan, like realizing now when I think about my student, don't just be like, Ooh, that's so sexy. It's so fucking sexy and hot to like, have debt. Like that's kind of sexy and cool. It makes me human. You know, like you don't even have to make it sexual. It could be, you could use other words, but the point is, is like, how much are you willing to approve of the whole entirety of all your parts? And you know, if you keep saying, well, no, 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 no. I got to be a good girl or, oh, I only like missionary style sex, or I only like food that tastes good. Or I only like smells that smell good. Like if you only want to do the good thing and you're not letting the other parts in, that's going to really stagnate your ability to be turned on. So that makes sense.
1: It does make sense. And it also reminds me of, I know a lot of of people who experienced a lot of trauma in their childhood and thus when they became parents have tried to be the perfect model of, of everything perfect. Right. Because to them, it's like, they can't, they can't ever be seen to like lose control or like have any of those things, right? Like it doesn't allow them at all, but it's like, it's so interesting to see how much that stunts, not stunts is, is a strong word, but like that, that I, I feel as if then it makes it so difficult to get off on the other parts of living that are considered naughty or bad, or they're trying to avoid, right? So yeah, because in parenthood, Yeah, exactly. They're a police officer in parenthood. So they're a police officer in sex. And then they're a police officer in eating. And then they're a police officer in, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, it's really hard to just be a police officer in one area of your life and not extend it all the way around.
0: Right. If you're going to be judgmental of one area, you're probably going to be judgmental of a lot. So the idea is let's be more accepting and loving of all our parts, right? Yep. Okay. Axiom number five. I love this one. Desire evolves through fulfillment, not denial or repression. Okay, so what does this mean? Desire evolves through fulfillment, not denial or repression. So, what she's saying is if you let your desires be fulfilled, then it will lead to another desire and then another desire and then another desire. So like, you know, an, a, a silly example would be like, I'm going to make this up. It's like, let's say I really, really want this bicycle. Well, I earn a lot of money and I get the bicycle. And then a couple of years later, I realize I want this car. So I work really, really hard. I get that car. And then a couple of years later, I'm like, I want a bigger car. So I go and get the bigger car. Right. And then eventually I get like a BMW or whatever, you know, it's like, or maybe I decide that I don't even want a car. You know, the point is, is like my desire is going to evolve as I fulfill my needs and desires. Right. But if I repress them, the desire will not evolve. So for example, if I want that bike. And I never let myself get the bike because I tell myself, you shouldn't have a bike. You know, bikes are for boys. I don't know. I'm, I'm making this up. Like, you know, bikes, bikes are for dirty people, you know, b- bikes are for atheists. I don't know. Or it's not
1: safe to ride a bike.
0: Yeah. I come yeah. Up with some bullshit reason to repress myself from having a bike. Then I'm only going to spend the rest of my life wanting the bike, or I might get really perverted. And I might start even getting like a weird kink about, bikes. And like, I feel like in some ways this has a lot to do with the clergy who have to be celibate. Like they are not able to fulfill their desire for sex and they repress. And then the repression becomes more perverted and they become child abusers. You know, like, I mean, that's a, that's like kind of going an extra step here, but the point is if you let your desires be fulfilled, they will then evolve versus when you deny your desires, they're just going to make you tighter, like wound up tighter and have more kinks and more, or weird yeah. shit, right? I so I have a perfect
1: example of this. Satyan and Suzanne do a exercise. What they'll do is they'll talk about. They'll be like, "What is your desire?" And so you're supposed to state your desire. And then they said, "What's higher than that? What's greater than that? What's more fulfilling than that?" Right? And and this is like the way that the sensuous way that Suzanne talks. I can just hear a voice in my head. And then and then you have to think of something that's more sensuous, that's more fulfilling, that's higher than that original desire. Right. And then you just keep going. You keep going until you get to fucking nothingness, right? Like that's how far you go. And, it, and one of the things that, that Sati and Suzanne do a lot is that, is they recognize that the mind is so powerful in it. In like, if you do the exercise in your mind, it's the same as, as doing it on earth. So you don't have to actualize it on earth. You can just experience it in your mind, which is probably slightly different than what you're saying, Anna, but it reminds me of the same thing that like, by going through that evolution in your own mind, then eventually it can it can become anything, right? It can become nothingness or everythingness or whatever you want or oneness or whatever it is. Right. And like that's the evolution.
0: Yes. I love that. Yeah. I've done that with her. And it's a great one. You just think of what you want and you imagine it being fulfilled and then you take it the next step. I love it. Yep. Yep. All right. Her sixth axiom in the book is shame is the magic killer. So she says that shame is the magic killer. So if we want to think about this in terms of the chakras, the humiliation wound sits in the first chakra. So if you are you are experiencing humiliation. You're basically putting a padlock on that chakra to not bring in energy from the earth. You're not, you're not bringing energy up into the body. Let's you're, you're stagnating the flow of life, flow of energy. Let's say you don't want to go that level of of talking about chakras. Well, shame is the thing that is going to completely cock block you. not just cock block you from cock, but cock block you from getting off on all that life has to offer. Right. Christina, can you, could you kind of like help me here?
1: Yeah. Absolutely, man. Because I totally like, if you were to think of, okay, so whatever you want to, whatever system you want to use the, the, the base of the tailbone is, is the source of, I mean, it's the bottom of your nervous system. Right. And so like, and if shame is sitting in that bottom space, and like you said, maybe, maybe we don't even need a physical comparison, but basically shame is one of the most base experiences of, of blockage of energy that we can have, right? Because it goes fundamentally to the core of, I am not worthy to be here right. I should be ashamed of my existence. I should be ashamed of some way that I'm appearing in the world, right. Ashamed being like, I I want to disappear or I want to not be here. I want to, you know, or punish myself for being present. So it really is when, you know, we talked about that when we talked about the humiliation and the primal wounds, right. About, you know, there's a reason that it's the shadow chakra of the, of the root chakra. And there's a reason that it is so deep that every, I mean, for a lot of people, it's kind of the deepest one. They may not even realize that they have it. It just makes perfect sense. Whether you're talking about Kundalini and you're talking about humiliation, sitting in the bottom of that spine, not allowing you to ascend into the higher chakras, whatever you want to call it. It it is, it is a really, really deep truth to recognize shame in your life and to, and to re and to push energy through it and, and kind of bring everything into the light, all parts of you.
0: Right. I love it. Okay. Number seven, her final axiom is that the truth is sensational. Her quote is, the paradox is that once you fully commit to being who you already are, having what you already have and hugely celebrating it, you become a masterful practical magician, a force of nature capable of shifting circumstances very easily. So, you know, she talks a little bit about manifestation stuff and how basically like you can manifest things better when you're unstuck. Meaning that if you have these parts of you, for example, she talked about that she came into all of this understanding of existential kink when she was broke and she came to understand that there was a part of her that was really getting off on being broke. And there was a part of her that took great pleasure in feeling inferior and humiliated to her clients by asking for a low price. And like, she was a coach and she was like, how could I possibly ever ask a thousand dollars per coaching session, which was what other people were offering that were in her same line, her same field. And she came to understand that if she was not so tied up in in the shame and she could actually recognize how much she enjoyed being broke and how much she enjoyed the pleasure of being humiliated and less than her clients, if she could enjoy that, she was no longer enslaved to it and by not being enslaved to it anymore she then had a choice right it's like what they always say is like nothing is either good or bad but stuck is stuck so if you're not recognizing how these unconscious parts of you are are wanting these things then you can be stuck and it's not just a question of okay well i'm going to pretend to be okay with being broke or i'm going to celebrate being broke because i want to be rich right like, you know, she says you can do, you can use this to manifest stuff, but it's also in seeing the pleasure and getting off on being broke and, and letting that part of you that enjoys it, enjoy it. You know, does that make sense? So it kind of makes sense. Can
1: you explain like how then, I mean, cause I can kind of understand it from an IFS perspective, but I'm curious from her perspective of like, so if you celebrate in, in some ways it's not about changing reality, right? Like it, it Like, would you use this as a manifesting tool to be like, Hey, I really want to be rich. So I'm going to celebrate being poor.
0: You're saying it's not
1: like that, right?
0: Well, she's saying that if you, if you're doing it for just that reason, it's like having a fake orgasm. She says, she really wants you to fall into the whole sticky, guilty pleasure, the BDSM kind of pleasure of getting off on these things that you hate. And recognizing the parts of you that actually enjoy them, okay. And, okay. and that, and that when you do that, the truth will sh- you will become more free, and then you can navigate life more consciously, and then maybe ask for that raise because you no longer are stuck. You know, it's kind of like we were saying before that, which you don't know is running the show is going to run the show. So if you're like, yeah, there's a part of me who fucking hates asking for a raise because I love to feel inferior. I get off on feeling inferior, but I'm going to put that part aside and I'm going to go ask for my raise because my other parts of me really need it. Right. Like yeah. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's one approach you could have, but she doesn't want you to fake it. You know, she doesn't want you to buy, do any kind of bypass and fake the orgasm. She wants you to feel the orgasmic pleasure of getting off on being afraid of your boss to ask for a raise.
1: That's so interesting. So in some ways, like to use some of the past language that we've used and I'm also thinking here of um, of excess potential, which is something that we haven't talked about. But it has to do with like the idea that if you if you if you have enough resistance against something, then the equal and opposite force of it happening is likely to happen, right? So it's it's you know it's kind of this idea that like the more resistance you put into something, the more. You know the more resistance push back at it and it's like we're gonna stay stuck because an equal and opposite force so what this is saying is that it basically is using pleasure to
0: dissolve resistance is that right oh my god yes it is using pleasure to dissolve resistance it is using celebration of all the parts to dissolve the resistance to them that's that's it in a nutshell sweet i get it (laughs) I get it. (laughs) The truth will set you free. And in the truth, it's that you are ultimately self. You are not your parts, you know? And yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I keep thinking about with the IFS, like, because I, because I referenced that before I'll mention it here. Is that like, is that, you know, ultimately when we talk about IFS, we're talking about the fact that, that the, until the part becomes unblended, right? The self can't lead fully. Right. And so by, and and the part is, is a representation of resistance, right? It's a representation of, 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 of a role that you've hired of a position that you've hired to do something to resist reality as it is, right? Because you have to protect somebody or you have to prevent something, or you have to manage something, or you're you're resisting the world because you're trying to protect, right? And protection always comes from this place of like constraint and resistance, right? Resistance to what is and, or trying to prevent something. And so this is ultimately the, the, if the part is also the resistance, which is also, you know, then it's using pleasure and to, to solve it. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Brilliant. Thank you. All right. So those were the axioms to kind of explain the basis of her philosophy. And then the book has 13 different interactive exercises that you can do. I'm going to read some of the names, how to get your shit together, the deepest fear inventory, how to stop being broke. So there's 13 different exercises you can do. I'm sure there's guided meditations on her website. Christina and I decided that we were each going to do one and tell our listeners about it before the show. Christina, did you get a chance to do yours or no? Well, one of them we do all the time and we do with Robbie and we did it all the time. So
1: that one I totally got covered. Yes, that was, holy fuck. I can't remember which one it was. What is number
0: eight? Number eight, how not to take yourself seriously.
1: Okay. So we do number eight all the time, which is how not to take yourself seriously, because I definitely have that problem sometimes where I'm just like, the whole fucking world is all on my shoulders and everything is so serious. And the way to do that is to do Robbie's exercise, which is to be like, I love to suffer, like get your little, she kind of describes it as a cheerleader, but it's basically like, let me just get this and like, be like, oh yeah, fuck. Yeah. You love being broke. woohoo! Way to go. Oh, you're so serious. Yes. S E R I O U S serious. That kind of thing. Fascinating. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you like my little performance of number eight? Yeah. There you go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that one. Uh, mine was, I love to suffer. I love to complain. Yeah. And it's great. It's a great way not to take yourself seriously. Yeah. So I decided to do exercise number 12, which is called how to stop torturing others by truly appreciating the art of torture. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love that. So this one was very interesting. She says that when we torture others, first of all, a true narcissist, I'm going to read the quote she says about the narcissist. So I can just kind of put myself, make sure y'all know I'm not a narcissist. Maybe I am. Maybe I have a narcissistic part. If I do, I love her. Okay. While society sometimes carelessly refers to sociopathic narcissistic behavior as shameless, people with sociopathic narcissism are so burdened by neurotic shame that they can't empathetically feel their impact on other people or even feel their own authentic desire for connection. So she says that narcissists are absolutely burdened by the shame that they get off on certain things. And on a lot of things that there's a lot of shame that they cut themselves off from feeling empathy from others because they can't even recognize that they have a desire to connect with other people because they're so overwhelmed with their shame for a lot of their parts. So narcissists hurt people. And as we know, hurt people, hurt people. And we could assume that narcissists really hate their own parts, right? So, so ultimately when we torture others now, a narcissist might not get there because they're so burdened by their, by their shame, but when we torture others, what we secretly want is actually connection. Okay. So we're wanting some sort of response, some sort of connection. And I know as a, as a human being, and I'm sure I'm not the (laughs) only one when I say this, that sometimes I will pick a fight with my husband simply because I want connection. I want to exist in his world. I want him to pay attention to me. Hey, that might sound like I'm a pain in the ass to be married to, but I think if you're all being really honest, a lot of you do it too. I
1: definitely do it. I definitely do it. Especially because my husband is mostly even keeled most of the time. I'm just like,
0: fucking pay attention. Yeah. I'm just like, do you care? Like pay attention to me. I will start a fucking fight to get your attention because any attention is better than no attention. So According to her, I'm torturing him because on some level I want connection and I want intense connection, right? It's not just that I want connection. I want intensity. Like I want to make him yell or I want him to make him really mad because then he'll be intense. So if I want really intense connection, she says, why not go about it in a consensual way, (laughs) (laughs) She says, for example, she says people who run late are non-consensually torturing others. People who are consistently late is their way of saying fuck you to the people who are waiting on them because the other people did not sign up for them to be late, right? The other people are waiting. They're being burdened. They're being annoyed. They are non-consensually being tortured. So she uses being like people who are constantly late as an example of people who actually like to torture others. If you are chronically late to things, there is a part of you that hates other people or wants to torture these people that you're making weight. That's what she, you can take it or leave it, but that's what she's saying. And I can see what she means because I can see that when I try to make my husband argue with me, it's because on some level I want to torture him because I want him to pay attention to me. Right?
1: Absolutely. Yep. All
0: right. So how am I going to stop torturing him by truly appreciating the art of torture? The art of torture, my dear friend, is the art of getting someone's attention. (laughs) So I'm not going to go into detail what I'm doing, but I am doing things to get his consensual attention (laughs) in a nice way. In a nice way, of course. And leave that to your imagination. But yeah, I've just decided like, Instead of maybe if I just keep getting a, a, attention from him in an intense way, then I won't need to do it in a non-consensual, torturous way. Right? Yeah. And it's also just being honest with myself and recognizing that part of me that does want to torture him or torture others, you know?
1: Yep. Yep. No, I totally get that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So before I kind of come to the end, is there anything you want to contribute? Yeah, I wanted to, I
1: wanted to talk about nine, but again, I'm having, I'm having difficulty finding it. I can tell you what nine
0: was. Okay. That one was called how to feel good in your body.
1: How to feel good in your body. And that was the one that Archangel Michael and you both said, and I knew that was the one I needed to do. And this I really loved because it was the practice of Tonglen, which is. We've talked about it in the past. We haven't used that terminology, but it's a Buddhist. It's what the Dalai Lama says is the highest practice that you can do, right? And, and like, if you're going to do a practice, of course, there again, I'm creating hierarchy of one practice is better than another. It's like, you know, what, whatever works for you, matriarchal spirituality people. That Tonglen is a practice in which you breathe in the pain and suffering of others and you breathe out compassion, right? And so I've been doing that every day because one of the things that I experience in my body is I often feel the pain of everybody around me as well as my own pain. And it makes me not want to be in my body. It makes me want to jump out of my body. So this is a practice of dissolving the resistance to pain by taking in more pain, right? By taking in more pain and breathing it out as compassion. And I can tell you, Oh my God, it is such a fucking powerful process. Like it is such the practice is just amazing. Like I just, I don't know, like I just imagine breathing it all in. And it's so funny because I have so much resistance because a lot of my training has taught me how to effectively uh, route energy through my body, like, especially with people I work with to not necessarily take on the energy of other people, right. To basically to release, do a release, like, you know, do whatever, like route it through my heart chakra, but not into my heart chakra or through my, my Chittakash, which is a chakra, a smaller chakra on the back of your head or just above your head, you know? And so it's interesting because when I do it, I'm like, oh, is there going to be something bad? And then as soon as I breathe it out, like compassion, I'm like, oh fuck. I just want to do more of this. I want more fucking pain so that I can develop compassion. I can develop that. Because to me, I've come to realize in my own practice that it's like compassion sits above love in terms of where I'm headed towards, like, like. Love is the word that gets used bantered around a lot, but you know, like that, that, that compassion, that, that just like absolute compassion for other people and just loving them unconditionally and having so much compassion for their suffering and for all of our suffering is like where I want to go. So that's the practice, and I fucking love it.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, to kind of sum up the book, I think you said it the best is that you're using pleasure and acceptance of all your parts to break down your resistance and to recognize that suffering is a choice and that you're allowed to take pleasure in things that you're not quote unquote supposed to take pleasure in. To end it, it's the same quote I said when I began this episode, which is a quote from the author, Carolyn Elliott, and it is, I'm allowed to take pleasure in every part of my existence.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. Please leave us a review on iTunes and follow us on Spotify. We love getting them and it really fuels us. And remember... Humility,
0: gratitude, acceptance, done.
1: Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer... One girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. Book a free call with me at www.chriswiltsy.com forward slash discover.